The rest of us are going to turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, we're going, we're studying the book of 1 Samuel. And this morning our assignment is 1 Samuel chapter 8. You need a Bible. Uh, there might be one in the row in front of you. If not, check with one of the guys in the back. Uh, they'll be uh, more than happy to, to find one for you. Your Bible or your Bible app, 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm going to read the chapter, and you're going to follow along, and then we'll get going. Excuse me, studying God's Word together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to, for you, to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Over you, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and all of our orchards uh, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain from your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said no. But there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice. And make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. There's plenty. Hopefully you felt the the tension of people talking to Samuel. Samuel talking to the Lord. The Lord talking to Samuel. Samuel talking back to the people of God. That interaction, there was tension. There's, There's a lot here. Let me just share with you. Some a truth that you need to ponder on the screen there. When we encounter adversity, we have an opportunity to figure out what we ultimately trust in. In 1 Samuel 8, we see the elders seek comfort and clarity and a solution, while Samuel immediately seeks God for guidance. Where do you turn? When security, all that represents security in your life, goes falls apart. Where do you go? Who do you turn to uh, when, when, when that 
that's supposed to provide you the, the security and, 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 and the strength, the wherewithal to press on, and it's no longer around, what do you do then? In First Samuel, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the contrast. Here's a question for you to also to consider on the screen there. Is it true that if you get everything that you want, you'll live happily ever after? Yeah? Fantastic. I'm going to hold you to that. I haven't met one person yet that everything they want, they get, and they live happily ever after. And I guess, you know, you could just depend on, on, on who or what provides you the, the sufficiency. There might be a real a good answer to this, but sadly, you and I don't always choose wisely. One Bible commentator tells the story of, 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 of a moment where he was exposed. And that's what First Samuel does for you and me. It exposes us. He writes, I'm going to read a, a little bit of it, and then the last part will be on the screen. He writes, I, I was cleaning out and rearranging our storage room at the back of the carport. Houses in Mississippi, where we then lived, normally do not have basements. So, lacking a true garage, all extra items must go in the storage room. Naturally, it was hot, sticky, and dirty in there. Of course, I had stuff all around on the floor. Surely, whenever I would turn to pick up something, I would bump something else, and down it would go. Perhaps the reader knows the feeling. You realize you're, are, you are right near the edge. In your refined depravity, which we prefer to call frustration, you really dare and almost hope someone to speak to you so that verbal leveling can occur. You been there? Been there? Ah. Then I heard this female voice calling my name. That was my cue. And I didn't miss it. In a nasty, crabby dialect, I both growled and hollered, What? Imagine my surprise when I went out to the carpet to find the voice. It was the nice Baptist lady who lived next door. <laughs> One can't lie, but the truth often hurts. I had to admit, I, th- I thought it was my wife calling me. Which is even worse, a pure admission that I like to be nice to the neighbors, but didn't mind crabbing at the dearest person in my life. What hurt the most, however, was the fact that I was exposed. My neighbor saw the real me. There was no place to hide, and he finishes with this on the screen here. The Bible does that. True. It is a revelation of God, but it is also a revelation of God's people. The Bible reveals not only God, but us. And that is the function of 1 Samuel 8. It is Yahweh's analysis of His people, of Israel, and of us. See, we finish chapter 7, and at the end of chapter 7, everything is fantastic. It almost is the ending of, of a cycle in the book of Judges, which Samuel is the last judge. And, and, and if you study the book of Judges, every time there's a cycle and a judge appears and there's deliverance, there's, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. The people are enjoying, uh, you know, uh, peace and prosperity. Uh, it's been a great, uh, victory. And at the end of chapter seven, that's exactly what they have. Literally, it is the first time this generation had ever, ex- ever experienced this kind of prosperity. They had not seen this before. So you think that chapter 7 is, man, it's going to be great. Yet chapter 7 really marks the end of the period known as the Judges. You see, starting in chapter 8, we technically start a new season. uh, Which is the beginning of the monarchy. Which will take us into the story of Saul and eventually the story of David. One uh, 
Bible commentator divides uh, the outlines for Samuel the following way. It's there on the screen. First uh, opening, or the first seven chapters is Samuel, the leader that God provided. We're about to begin 8 through 15, and that's Saul, the leader that the people asked for. And then from 16 to the end of 31, chapter 31, David, the leader according to God's own heart. And we, we, we begin this second section in the book of First Samuel. And chapter 8 is, 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 is transitional. Now, now Samuel doesn't die until chapter 25. Samuel still is around between now and chapter 25, but he's not the focus anymore. After this, he's no longer the focus. We begin to focus on Saul, and then we begin to focus on David. Chapter 8 is, is that transition between, you know, the, 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 uh, a theocracy to a monarchy from a uh, from from judgeship to kingship, First Samuel is remar- First Samuel eight is remarkable, and I put this on on a slide so you can keep an eye on it. First Samuel is a remarkable chapter because Israel asks for something against God's will, and God actually says yes. And this we need to take to heart when we present our petitions before the Lord. What if He actually answers something that will harm us? We normally don't say that. We just say it and we blurt it out and we hide, we hide behind the fact that God would not send anything to hurt us. But yet we see it here and you'll see it throughout the pages of scripture. He takes the object of your desire and he uses it as a tool of discipline. So be careful what you desire above God. And in this case, they desired to be like the nations. They wanted a king. So he goes, oh, you want a king? Okay, okay. I'll take that object of desire, and I'm going to use it as a tool of discipline. We read this time and time again. So let's dig in. We have a few verses to go through. So first five verses, a king is demanded. A king is demanded. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first one was Joel, the second one was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in the ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old and your sons are not walking your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And Samuel is one of the great leaders of the Bible. In fact, in in 1 Samuel chapter 7, he says that he judged Israel all of his days. He played a a pivotal part in, in bringing Israel to where they were today. The years after his great victory of chapter 7, listen, there was prosperity, national vigor, but you know what? There's a problem with Samuel. Being a man, he's mortal. He's mortal. And we're reminded of that opening verse, when Samuel became old. See, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we read about another very old man, Eli. It's the way... Of life. People get old. And growing old has its advantages. Absolutely. But it also has its disadvantages. Can I get an amen? Yeah. On the negative side, there's decreasing energy, there's aches and pains, and there's a glory, a growing clarity and a glory, a, gr- a growing certainty that death is near. I know at 57 that there's less before me than there is behind me. That's just a bottom line. I mean, if I think at 57, I'm going to live for another 57 years, maybe, I don't know if I want to, 
But I know I have to prepare my life, I have to prepare my wife, I have to prepare my things. Okay, and some of you are uh, younger than I am, and some of you are older than I am. And I'm sure that th- as you get older, things in life, get a, you get a new perspective. And you have to value different things. Israel's years of security and peace under Samuel were something that they were thankful for. But listen, he's growing old. As my kids would say, he old. He old. And he old is going to come to an end. And so does then this, this era of security, this era of peace. Adding to the problem of Samuel's age is the realization that his succession plan didn't work. You, you read it there, right? You know, he, he attempted something that's very bold, by the way. He takes his two sons and he appoints them as judges. In Beersheba, which is, there's, there's considerable distance from Rama to Beersheba. But he does that. And all of a sudden, you're like, hmm, I, I've, I've read this before. In the, in the, uh, in the words of Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. I mean, I've heard about this dad who takes his boys and he places them somewhere, right? Who's this dad, former dad? His name was Eli and the two boys, Hophni and Phineas, right? Now, here's the difference. In the priesthood, the priest, the priesthood was hereditary. You handed it down to a descendant of Levi, Aaron. The judges were not hereditary. So we have here the first time that a human takes the role of God. Because if you read the book of Judges, it is God who appoints the judge. It is God who raises the judge. In the life of Samuel, who called Samuel to this role? God himself did. So Samuel takes it upon himself. Why does he do it? There's a bunch of questions. Why did you do it? Should you have done it? Did you have the authority? Because listen, let me tell you. The fact that he did this is pivotal. Because if he would have just waited on God, or if they would have found some godlier examples, we've never had a king. It would have been different. Different time. But he says, let me appoint my, my sons. Now, I don't think he's trying to, uh, to create a dynasty. I think it's just practical. Remember, he used to go on a, on a circuit every year of certain cities, but Beersheba's way outside that, that, that travel. So I think he's trying just to be practical and extend the, the, the ruling of the judge. And hey, we need to, we need to represent and we need to care for our own. The problem, the problem is that he had done it and not the Lord. And perhaps, perhaps it's, they started off well. You know, Eli's sons didn't have a, you know, didn't have any excuse. They were literally working with dad. These guys weren't literally working next to dad. They were miles away. So maybe they started off well and then they just veered. But the problem is, one way or the other, it's the, 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 the end game is the same. Verse, verse three. His sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. I mean, it's almost like you're reading the front page of the Hylian News. Where's, where's she at? Oh, I thought I was just looking for her too. Alright? This is something from the 305. Alright, they, they turned after gain. They, they, the Operation Green Palm. Right here, gimme. Okay, Ben speaks loud. All right, and and they're saying this this is not this is not good, this is not good. This succession plan has not gone well. 
And I started thinking about this a little bit. And again, why did 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 did, um, did Samuel do what he did? And you know what? I re- just by way of application as a dad, I'm reminded that when it comes to my kids, I'm not always objective. Okay, I, I think something sometimes as parents, I've met parents who think they have the perfect kids, that they don't sin. I'm like, we 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 they can do no wrong. Now listen. There's, 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 there's a time to be objective and there's a time not to be. And it's a good thing when you're not because I have to be the greatest cheerleader in my kid's life. I do. No one else is going to do that. No one else is called to do that. That's part of the fun. That's part of the calling. To celebrate them. To, to lift them up. To, to set them up to succeed. And in that case, I don't want to be objective. I want to be completely subjective. I want to just shower them with all that they need to succeed. But when I lose objectivity and I start appointing them to spiritual positions, now we got a problem. And parents, you need to keep a balance between raising your children objectively. This is who they are. And outside the grace of Christ, the best they are are sinners. Because you, parent, me, parent, outside the grace of God, the best I am is a sinner. So, but in the grace of Christ, I can raise them objectively uh, and, 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 and to know that they're shortfalls and I don't make excuses. I don't start giving, you know, making excuses for their shortcomings. Uh, they need to face it. They, they have a cruel world they have to grow up to. Melanie, the best thing your parents can do is prepare you for a world that's not fair. It's not. But at the same time, boy, Melanie, the best thing they can do is like, let's go, Mel. I want you to succeed. He went outside the bounds. He went outside the bounds because it created the very problem that they had to deal with. See, and, and I've seen this trend, by the way. I, I, maybe you haven't caught it, but I catch it. You know, you got pastors of small or large churches, uh, influencers or non-influencers. But what they're doing is they, they get to a point where they're, they're, they're getting old. And whether or not they want to just keep control or they just do the best, you know, with great intentions, what do they do? They hand off the baton to their children. And now it becomes a dynasty. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is not family business. Nepotism may be tolerated or even promoted in your secular space, but it doesn't have a a time here in, in the church of Jesus Christ. It is up to the spiritual leaders of the congregation to identify, to prayerfully look for, and then bring before the congregation someone to lead them. Not the same that happened here in Israel. The problem was created by Samuel himself when he goes and and establishes it. I think he was well-meaning. I don't think the text even hints at Samuel being, there's malice. He's just being practical. Man, I'm getting old. I can't get around. Let me get my boys and set them up to succeed. It was spiritual positions. And they didn't. They didn't. That creates the problem. So verse 4, there's a reaction. They come together and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Appoint Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They overreacted. Again, this is the same people that in chapter 7... Now, Bible commentators think that about 25 to 30 years have transpired between chapter 7 and chapter 8. 
But this is still a generation that have seen what they have seen, they've experienced what they have experienced, and yet they come to him. We want a king like all the nations, literally like the Gentiles. Like the Gentiles. Now, please understand that they're asking for a king is not necessarily a bad thing. If you read your book of Deuteronomy, verse 17, it made provisions for a coming king. But the king would be chosen by God, had to be an Israelite, and there were other criterias. So it's not that God is anti-king because he's like, ooh, I'm a power freak. No. So Deuteronomy 17 provides the qualifications. The problem was much deeper than the request. It was the motive. It was the motive. Because saying no to God is just as wrong as saying no to God. Okay? See, saying no to God is just as wrong as saying no to God. And that's what they want. Now appoint to us a king. They could have gone to Samuel and said, Samuel, you old, bro. You old. And your boys, they're out of control. But God has an answer. Let us seek the Lord together. No, 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 no. They didn't do that. Now appoint to us a king so we can be like the others. So they're, and, and they know that Samuel answers to God. So indirectly they're telling God, God now. Child of God, be careful when you say now to God, because it can be as equally as wrong as when you say no to God. Keep that in mind. Part of accepting God's will is accepting His timing, waiting for His God's best instead of setting, settling for something less. They wanted an earthly king like the nations around them. A big deal? Yes. Why? On the screen there, in the surrounding nations, the king was God. In Israel, it was God who was king. They were twisting it. They're losing focus. And they, they didn't remember. See, the, uh, the model that God had established for the Hebrew people is you're, you're a called out people. You're, uh, you're other than. You're different. And we're going to show that difference in, in how you're governed, in how you dress, in how you eat. There needs to be something different about you. So people will say, why? Oh, I'm glad you asked. That's the open door. We serve Yahweh. We serve the true God. That was part of it all. The whole model established around the theocracy was that God is king and you're other than, you're different. But they said, no, no, we don't want to be different. Can you hear the, the, the cries of the modern church? We want to be like the world. Please entertain us. We want the, the world's acceptance. No, no, no. God says then and God says now. Be different. Be different. And he tells them, listen, they, they say, we want to be like the Gentiles. We want an earthly king. We want a human army. We, we don't want to live by faith. We, we want to live by sight. We want to be just like them. It's not a modern problem for the people of God to crave after the world. This leads number to number two, the response. Both from Samuel... And the Lord again. Then Now, the people have talked to Samuel. Samuel's going to talk to the Lord. The Lord's going to talk to Samuel. Samuel's going to talk to the people. And then it repeats. Verses 6 through 9. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. But I highlighted this verse in my, in my Bible. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. In other words, uh, 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 do what they say, even though they're not going to do what I say. That's what he's telling them. 
Verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. There's no question Samuel takes it personal. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is the God that didn't need one of us to deliver us. And you want me to say, no more God as king, we want a human king. Really? How did the human kings do? How did these Philistines kings fare against God Almighty? He takes it personal. And, and, and God reminds him, hey listen, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And by the way, that's their pattern. Verse 8. That's their pattern. To love me when it's good, until it's no longer good. To love me when it's convenient until it's no longer convenient. This is what he's saying there on, check out the screen there. God is saying that the consistent pattern of the people of God has not been primarily faithfulness with a little bit of rebellion. He's saying that the pattern has been primarily rebellion with a season of faithfulness. Let me tell you, child of God, you better pay attention to that. Which one describes you today? This was it. This is what he says. Nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. They've been playing daisy theology with me all the time. He loves me. He loves me not. 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 They've been playing daisy theology all the time. We follow you. We don't follow you now. No, no. Because, and the pattern is not so much that they're faithful and they do rebel. No, they're rebellious people. And sometimes they get it right. Let me tell you. I, I find myself in those. I find myself in there. And he's telling them, every generation has to learn that. Give them what they want. Give them what they want. Because the day's coming when they'll ask for relief. And I'll say, no. 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 Verse 9, listen to them, but warn them. So there, you have the response there from Samuel. You have the response from the Lord. So the people talk to Samuel. Samuel talks to the Lord. The Lord talks to Samuel. Now Samuel has to talk to the people again. Number 3. The next section, the high cost of having a king. Now, when I read verses 10 through 18, I want you to take note. Maybe you want to highlight. Maybe you want to just remember of the times, at least in the English Standard Version, of the times that the word take appears. Okay? Make note of that. See how many you can come up with. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king. Who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take the ma- your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. And he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. How many times? It's going to be take, 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 take. You're swapping from a God who gives, 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 gives to be enslaved to someone who takes, takes, takes. On that day, they just overdid. They just, they just negated the entire Exodus story. 
Exodus is about God coming in and freeing them from, from a slave master, from bondage. And today, they choose to fall right back into it. Child of God, isn't that you and me sometimes? And this is what happens. The, the, the Hebrew text reads emphatically. It reads like, your sons he will take, your daughters he will take, your servants he will take, the best of your land he will take, your crops he will take, everything you have he will take, you yourself he will take. And you're going to get to a point where you're going to go, no, no more. And then verse 18, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He's still disciplining you. So you can learn and learn it well. Because he loves you that much. That he disciplines. See, that's what happens when you take God out of the equation. It doesn't have, it doesn't matter if it's a monarchy, a despot, or democracy. No form of human government is better than God ruling over his people. Never, never. It's always been true. You remove God out of the equation, just look at the history of the empires. You remove God out of the empire, out of the equation, they sink. Oh, they may still survive. We as a nation have chosen to remove God out of the equation, and we suffer. And if you don't think we're suffering, you better wake up and smell the hot sauce. That's what always happens. Because this is not about Republicans or Democrats or independence, or the undecided. This has to be, this is theological in nature. This is you and me saying, no, 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 my, my trust is, is not ultimately in God, my trust will be ultimately in the government. And if you're going to trust ultimately in the government, the government has to be your God. And it works like that, no matter what. Again, any form of human government. Theology affects everything, including our politics. No country, no culture that exchanges what God wants from what man thrives, from what man wants thrives. God is benevolent. God is generous. We have some vestiges of that, but you know it all. You know that we do it most of the time because there's something in it for you and me. Take, take this with you on the screen there. We're never freer. We're never happier. We're never safer. We're never more protected. We're never more prosperous than when we choose to travel God's path. You, child of God, choose to obey the Lord. You'll never be on the wrong end of the stick. On the wrong end of history. As long as I'm doing God's will, as long as you're doing God's will, do you understand that you and I are indestructible? We die when God says we die. I'm sorry? Yeah. And it's gain, you're right. Okay? So that's the reality. That we're never better. So what, if, if the, if the problem is, 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 is theological, then the, solu- the solution is also theological. What, what we need is revival. Amen. And that starts in the church. That's not the government's problem. That's not the government to provide. They don't give you a little debit card so you can go to the, and here's revival. No. Revival is a sovereign work of God and the people of God. And when the people of God start living under the Lordship of Christ the way they need to, revival, He revives them, and that spills over into the streets, and that looks like a spiritual awakening. And if you don't think that America needs a spiritual awakening, if you don't think the world needs a spiritual awakening, again, wake up and smell the hot sauce. 
Stick a little bit of hot sauce in your nose. Wake up. We're in bad shape. That's what was happening right there. These people, God says, you want it? Remember I told you so. Remember I told you so. The, the encounter ends with a, with a warning. Hey, listen, you're gonna cry, you're gonna cry out that day, and I am not gonna answer you. You would think that when the people hear this, they were gone, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, hold that chariot. Give me a, slow down, emergency brake on. Okay. You know what, Samuel? We dumb. You old, but we dumb. We repent. Please intercede on, God, on, on our behalf before the Lord, and let's do it God's way. It worked in chapter 7. It worked in chapter 7. This is part of the generation that saw it work. Not all the generation, but there was a generation there. You would hope, and that would have been the best way to end this chapter, but it doesn't. The closing verses tell us this on the screen. The Israelites get what they want at the expense of not keeping what they need. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and by extension the voice of the Lord. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Since when did they do that? What king? Every king that came against God lost. And they're saying, let me be like the losers. But that's sin for you. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Again, you see that in verses? The people talk to Samuel. Samuel talks to the Lord. The Lord talks to Samuel. Samuel goes back to the people. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. God's going to discipline them with what they wanted, a monarchy. In answer to Samuel's prayer, God instructs them, hey, listen, just wait. And knowing, not knowing who exactly that person is, Samuel tells him, go back, go back to your, to your cities and let's wait. But a monarchy would come, it's a monarchy that they would regret. The monarchy will last about 500 years and end in failure. When does it end? When the Babylonians show up and they level Jerusalem. And the Israelites have never had a king ever since. What's the application? Right off the bat, you know it. We've been saying it. Listen, when you and I are stubborn, God lovingly disciplines uh, disciplines us to, to help us grow. And sometimes it's saying yes to a bad request. Again, because he takes the object of our desire and he's very able to use it wisely, delicately, and effectively as a tool of discipline. That's what we see here. In fact, it wasn't the first time. Psalm 106 on the screen there. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. Do you remember when they wanted meat? Oh, you want meat? Oh, you want quail? Here's quail. You're going to be coming out of your noses, quail. Oh, you don't like that little cracker? Go, no problem, baby. I'll set you up with some meat. By the way, here's a disease too. It's not the first time. This is why he was saying it. He, this is the people of God. Rebellious with seasons of faithfulness. Not faithfulness with seasons of rebellion. When God says a yes, it's not always a sign of his favor, child of God. 
Walk closely to the master. Walk closely to the master. Oh, but God said yes to my faith. Okay. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Okay. He said yes. And it may be a sign of discipline. What can we take with us this morning? Let me uh, land this plane and give you a few things to think of. Number one, our reflexive reaction to problems reveals the truth about who we are. What's your reflex? That's, what, what's, your, what's your default? I could have used the word there, default. But I use reflex because it's, it's uh, reflexes happen out of muscle memory. Somebody tries to, uh, uh, somebody tries to hit you, 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 it's muscle memory. What's your reflexive reaction to problems? That reveals who you are. Samuel's reaction was always to straight, to go straight to God. Always straight to God. You, you know how this formed? Over years of choosing God first. You don't have a reflexive reaction to choose God on day one. You have it on day 101. Because you've had a hundred days to go, man, this works, this works. And my, uh, my reflexive reaction is always God. Samuel did that. Your spiritual muscle memory, mine, are formed through the hardships of life, which enables me to see the goodness of God and respond in Christ-like fashion to whatever this life may send my way. Your reflexive, my reflexive reaction really reveals, no different than the guy here. What? His reaction was, ah! Child of God, sometimes our reaction is, ah! says more about you than God. Number two, we will reap the consequences of trying to, to have both the benefits of following Jesus and the comforts of those who do not follow Him. This is worldliness at its best. You, you saw it again here in the text. They, they want to live with, with a foot in both. Like the nations, but enjoying Yahweh. You can't. You can't. You reap the consequences, not the benefits, the consequences of trying to have both the benefits of following Jesus and the comforts of those who do not follow Him. See, God has called you and me to do other than, to be, to live separate lives, a, a set-apart life, to be holy, set aside for the masters used for holy. And listen, you, you and I are supposed to be out of step with this world. A little bit out of step. You know, we're, we're in it, but not of it. It's like DJ says with, with his Android phone. When he makes fun of the Apple phone. He says, I'm in this world, but not of this world, you know? And I thought of you when I, when I was preparing this. I was, yep, DJ's right. Not that the Android is better. But, that we're in this world, but not of this world. But child of God, why do we crave to be of this world? And you're going to reap consequences trying to go live for Jesus and live for the arch enemy. Live for the one who has only your best interest in mind and live for the one who wants to drag you to hell and your own too, by the way. You see it here. You see it here. Perhaps the most miserable of all is just try to live with one foot in both worlds. Number three, the hungriest people are not the ones who have nothing to eat, but the ones who have stuffed themselves with what they thought would satisfy only to realize that they're still hungry. Try to live a, try, try to, try to survive on a diet of, of coke and pretzels. See, the hungriest people, these people were hungry. They, 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 listen, they, 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 they wanted to succeed. They wanted to, to, to the best, but they, 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 they stuffed themselves with, with the misery 
of sin. You succumb to the deceitfulness of sin, it leads to experiencing the, the misery of sin. Because you choose unwisely. And you see it there. Do you see this play out? You see in verses 7 and 8, it, we're reminded that there's a, you and I, if we're not, if we don't, we're not careful, there's a passion for substitutes. Give us a king like the nations. I want a substitute. I don't want God anymore. So let me stuff myself with, with worldliness to see that doesn't earn. And, and that, and that passion for substitute leads to an, an aversion to holiness. We don't want to be like what God wants us to be. We want to be like the nations. So because there's, there's a passion for substitute, I, I don't want to do it God's way. I don't want to wait till marriage. I don't want to do this. I don't want to raise my kids this way. I don't want to remain faithful in my marriage. I, I don't want to remain faithful in this way. And I don't want to do this. No, no, no. God doesn't have His best interest for me. I want to do it my way. Well, your passion for substitutes is going to give you an aversion for holiness. And it's going to result in a resistance to divine wisdom. He tells them, he tells them, this is what the way of the king is going to be like. He's going to take your daughter. He's going to take your son. He's going to tax your land. He's going to do this. What do they say? Give us, give us that king. That's what happens when you stuff your life with worldliness and you succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. Next, we can be confident that God's purposes in the world will never be frustrated even by the sins and the rebellion of sinful humanity, even the sins of His own people. God still rules. God still reigns. This is not the tale of a frustrated God. This is a sovereign God who's going to carry out His purposes even in the midst of His rebellious people. And lastly, we can rejoice in knowing that when God promises us that ultimately all things work together for our good and His glory, He means it. He means it. There's a coming day that this monarchy will be redeemed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God did not lose control of all that He had set into motion. And child of God, He has not lost control into whatever He set in motion in your life. And you and I are tasked to live lives in such a way that our days to the end will reflect His glory and be for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. If you would bow your heads for just a moment. Do you know the Lord as your Redeemer? Have you come to, to the place in your life where you've trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior? If not, this is the day. This is the moment. You can right now. You cry out to Him. You understand that you're a sinner. But He's the Savior. Would you cry out to Him even now? Use your own words. And let Him meet you there at the cross of Jesus Christ. And for you, my fellow brother or sister in the Lord. How's your walk with the Lord? Are you tired of making excuses for sin? Let's make some some adjustments for holiness. Let's not think 
that the Lord won't give us something because it'll hurt us. Let's learn from today that the Lord has every right to do whatever He wants with you and me. We belong to Him. And whatever teaches us the best lesson about God and about us, ourselves, He is it. He can use. But if you haven't been walking right, walking worthy, let's repent. Let's call sin for what it is. And let's enjoy the forgiveness and the restoration of the Lord. Lord God, before we sing that you are our rock and our redeemer, that our days would bring glory to your name, help us now as we face the reality of looking in the mirror, having looked in the mirror of your word, and you've exposed us. Just like that Bible commentator was exposed that day when he reacted the way he reacted. Lord, you have now exposed us. You have now allowed us to see ourselves how you have been seeing us. And I thank you for that. Help us to respond correctly. Meet with us now. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name and God's people said.